Welcome back to the Act 2 podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I'm Josh Hallman. I haven't had to say that in a while, it feels like. I know, we've been on a hiatus. We have been on a hiatus for us, not for you, but Josh and I went on vacation for a little bit. But we're back, and it feels yeah. like I haven't seen Josh in months. I've, I haven't seen Tasha in months. <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> All right, please remember to subscribe to our lovely podcast. It does help boost us to other writers, and it also makes sure that you don't miss any of our upcoming topics and interviews. But if you'd rather DM us to be angry at us or mm -hmm. suggest topic suggestions, you can. We have act2writers at gmail.com, which is all spelled out. Or you can reach out to us on our Instagram page at act2writers. I'm also on Instagram at Story Thursday or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I am Josh Hallman on Instagram and Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Aren't you so glad to be doing that again? Oh, yeah. And I'm not above asking people just to, like, spread the word. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. That way, when we ask people to come on the podcast, I can brag about how many people subscribe to the podcast. It is helpful to help us get better interviews. <laughs> help us help you. <laughs> Tasha, I'm fired up today. I have a warm energy drink from yesterday, a fresh coffee. I've got some water. I think you have an energy drink. I feel like today is going to be great. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to try right. and ride your wave, man. <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's going to be an okay episode. <laughs> well, we were supposed to talk about open writing assignments today because the WGA just did a, a cool panel about it. They sent out a massive email about it. There were some arguments back and forth in Act 2 about <laughs> whether to do OWAs or are they the beast incarnate. And <laughs> we really want to talk about that. But then as Josh and I started talking about this episode, we realized we had a lot that went on since we went on vacation in this week in writing. And we actually want to share that first and then do OWAs in our next episode. Yeah, I think that's great because the OWA is going to be a long episode and I feel like you're going to have a lot to say about it. I have many opinions about OWAs. <laughs> All right, so this week's in writing. That's what we're doing today. All right, so my first one is that I saw A Quiet Place 2 this last weekend mm -hmm. and... I thought it was great and I cried and I jumped because it was scary and it was super tense and I just thought it was a really beautiful movie, which you don't often get to say that for a horror movie. Mm. And personally, it was very much in line with the kind of horror that I like to write, which is, you know, like very character driven stuff. It's basically a drama about family. That's why I cried. It just happens to have alien monsters in the background. But that being said, I pretty much immediately came out of it and like texted you, Josh, that there were like issues with Quiet Place 2 that you sort of realize as you're watching, you kind of bump on it, but you're quickly brought back in with the emotions. And then only after the movie, when you're actually talking with friends, do you realize that all of these issues with the movie exist. But I thought what was so interesting is it does not mess with the viewing experience at all. Like I said, it takes me out for a second and then I'm brought right back in. And even afterwards, when I was talking about it with friends, I sort of didn't care. It was still an amazing movie. And I just think that in itself is a puzzle that I think about a lot as a writer, because obviously no script or produced piece of material is ever perfect. Mm -hmm. Right? 
except for the scripts that we write. Yeah. Well, I was going to say like Jurassic Park, <laughs> Back to the Future. Like those sure, kinds of, of movies. Course. But yeah, what we write yeah. too. Um, I was like trying to put my finger on how they got away with having some of those imperfections without making me care. Because usually, especially as writers, we like super care when there is a gap in a yeah. movie. And really it was, maybe this is just so obvious, but obviously incredible acting. But they kept this really high tension and consistently high stakes throughout so that literally one wrong move by any character meant someone in the family was going to die. Yeah. And that was like such a tight way of telling a story that even those little holes that you find along the way don't end up mattering. Yeah. And it just really emphasized, I think just how important character is because the only reason I feel that way is because I'm so invested in your characters. And at the beginning of A Quiet Place 2, they spend a lot of time with just the family doing normal everyday stuff, shopping, going to a baseball game. And there's slight tension in the background because you know shit's about to go down and there are small hints throughout that um, kind of indicate that tension. So it still feels like it's not boring, but it's all about character investment. And it just, I don't know, it was just a really good reminder to put character above everything else. Yeah, no, I think about this all the time because first of all, we're not writing documentaries, right? So there's always gonna be some kind of hole that can be poked into pretty much anything depending on who you are, especially in the time of Twitter and social media. But it's a weird balancing act to have things that are kind of plot holes and just not care. Like, how much can you possibly get away with in in your scripts when, it, when shooting things? I don't know the answer to that, but I think you kind of just cracked it with, if you just focus on character and we care about the character, you can just get away with so much more. Mm-hmm. Do, were there, were, as you were watching the movie, did you kind of note some of these plot holes? Or was it not until at the end of the movie where you kind of thought back on it? A little of both. I would say that during the movie, I didn't hang on to the little things that I noticed. It wasn't until yeah. after when we started discussing it that they, I really remembered what they are. But essentially, nothing happens in this movie. I haven't even seen this somehow, by the way. You should. It's fantastic. I can't. I usually would see. I don't know. It's, you know, I, I'll go see it soon. But uh, I saw The Tomorrow War. Go on. There may have been a plot hole or two in The Tomorrow War. <laughs> but I was so... <laughs> I was so engaged with it. I didn't give a shit. I was like, I don't care. I'm along for the ride. There were, there were, it was, there were answers that probably should have been answered earlier in the first act, but didn't get answered till the third act. Again, I was like, I don't care about this plot hole, but there were, there were some things where as I was watching, I was like, Hey, wait a minute. How did this just happen? And why aren't they doing this? Because once you get into time travel and stuff like that, you just kind of, you open yourself up for some kind of. Oh, for sure. Trouble. Now, I don't want to presume, but is the reason why you didn't care about those plot holes because of character or because the concept and the fun of the movie was so engaging? A little bit of both. Okay. I think I told you, I might have messaged you this, but like at 30 minutes into the movie, I paused it and I went and got popcorn. Because <laughs> I, I was like, I am not gonna sit here without popcorn this is a summer movie and i'm fully engaged however i will say 
it was an emphasis on character. There was a father-son story, which you know I'm a sucker for. Mm -hmm. There was a father-daughter story, which you know I'm a, I'm a sucker for. Mm -hmm. And so there were all these different elements happening. And I cared about the character. So you know what? Character wins. Always. Always. Can I go on a slight tangent about that? Oh, my God. If you didn't, I would leave the podcast. <laughs> All right. So I am reading this book right now called Directing Actors for Tomb Raider because I will be directing actors for Tomb Raider. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it's actually – it's this book that every director I've ever talked to has recommended. <laughs> what? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> It's going to be great. Oh, man. Well, now I feel super confident, Joshua. Thank you. <laughs> First of all, I know you can do it. You could do it. I've seen your – you've directed stuff before. <laughs> all right. So I'm reading this book, <laughs> Directing Actors. And one thing that she says – Judith Weston is the person who wrote it. One thing that she keeps saying is sometimes you have to tell the actor to not say the line. That the line isn't important. Just let the actor become the character and kind of do what they want. And I keep getting so mad <laughs> reading this book because as a writer, like, the line is fucking everything. I've slaved yeah. over this line. I did not pick it at random. It's there because that's what the character is thinking and feeling and saying and doing. So say the line. But the more I keep reading this, the advice yeah. that she's giving is really the same advice that I would give to writers when they're writing character, which is don't worry so much about the destination, not especially like when you have a really solid outline, right? You already know where you're going. So you know your plot points. So take a breath and work on the scenes. Play with how the characters would interact in this scene. Maybe try it one way and then try it another way. Surprise yourself. And that's basically what she's saying to do in the next process after we've written the script, which is in the, the acting process. And so I've let go of my anger and accepted that <laughs> that's part of it. But wow, I don't know what else to say except that. That was just my tangent. You're going to be like uh, Quentin Tarantino. Where's like, you say the line. I like toes. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> And you say the line on, you know, in the script or you're fired. <gasps> he doesn't do that. Yes, he does yeah. do that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I will be. Yeah, that's fine. That's great. <laughs> I know you're going to be great. I don't know. I, 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 I joke around only because I know the outcome already. That's very sweet. <laughs> Moving on. So I'm happy you went first because you came in with substance. I, on the other hand, not so much. I, I, something happened to me and I, I, I jotted something down and I text you about it and I actually messaged Dave about it and I was like, hey, guys, I have a question. Do you bold your, your slug lines in your script? Dave was like, yes, always. And you, you've come around to bolding and underlining. Is that yeah. correct? Only recently, but yes. So... I have written two things recently. One of them takes place on a train. And so it was jumping from car one to car two to car three to car four. And I ended up like when I was reading the script, I was like, I have to bold like which every single slug line. This is just way too confusing. Mm. And I did it. And actually, it sort of helped the read a little bit. And I asked someone else, hey, did it? I asked Dave, I was like, did it help while you were reading? He was like, actually, yeah, it did. It would kind of clarified 
which car everyone was in. And it was like this very little thing. And so I ended up doing it with my other script, which is also somewhat contained. And I feel like I might never go back. And I don't know where people stand on this. I've seen people be like, you never do it. I've seen other yeah. people say you always do it. It's weird. I don't understand why to never do it. Although I say that while being someone who never did it until like last year. And I started doing it because that's how we were doing it on The Witcher, Blood Origin. Mm. And it made so much sense because you just see otherwise, if you don't have bolded and or bolded and underlined slug lines, which are, you know, a new scene heading, mm -hmm. then you just see a page of all the same color and that can feel boring just like as you turn a page but if yeah. you're seeing like maybe there are like five scenes within a page like oh like this is going to be fast like oh that's cool you get excited more and it just visually it separates things for you that so it feels like less of a slog to read is how i feel now man this this is goes back to our double dash conversation that we had <laughs> a few podcast episodes ago where it it there there's just that element to make you want to turn the page or swipe through your PDF a little faster. And this is part of it. It's like, there's a visual element to scripts, whether I think people want to admit it or not, yeah. it's just there. You, it's, just, it's just, that's it. End of story. It, yeah. It's funny when you say whether people want to admit it or not, because I do think writers get obsessed with, it's not about the showy thing, it's about the work itself. But I think something we advocate on this podcast is to also pay attention to the read because that mm -hmm. is very important and does make a huge difference. We're not suggesting you go and make it a picture book. We're not there yet, no. though I feel like we're moving in that direction. But anything you can do to help <laughs> yourself along the way, these are just small changes that I think make a big difference. I do too. And yeah, of course, scripts are obviously going to sell and be made without you know, having bold and underlined slug lines, but you know, it's, it's just, it's helpful. I think so. So too. I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I'm a changed man. I, I, I don't know. We'll find out. Moving with the times, man. This one has been bugging me this next, this week in writing because it came up a few days ago and it's related to our last episode on document organization, which oh, both Josh and I were like, <laughs> this topic is stupid. I don't want to do it. It's such a waste of an episode. But I kid you not, ever since that episode, Josh and I have been thinking nonstop about this topic of document organization. It's, it's true. It <laughs> I got, I got, not, I'm not to like jump in on this, but just today you asked me, I was sending you a script today and I couldn't find it. I was like, what the fuck? Where's this script? And it's because I rearranged my, my method here based off of our last podcast. <laughs> It's going to be this topic that continues to haunt us, I think. So yesterday, this actually came up on Tomb Raider, that it was time to send my latest draft of something to Netflix. And my assistant, Kevin, who's amazing. Shout out to what's Kevin. Up, Kevin. Yeah, what's up? Kevin says, hey, so Netflix needs a draft that has all the changes from the last draft you did that are marked. And... When they say that, when they say marked, of course, it means that it has asterisks next, next to all of the things that have changed in the margins. And you just, you know, do that in revision mode. So usually that means that you can just skim through a script and just read what's been changed. And it just makes things easier for the reader. So Netflix needs this draft with all the changes that have been asterisked since their last read. Now, yeah. since Netflix last read this draft, I have addressed their notes. I've also addressed the studio notes on top of those notes. 
And I've basically done several drafts, right? Like four to five different drafts since Netflix has left, last read it. And what I do when I do that is I will send my producers the revised draft with the asterisks. They'll then give me notes so that when I address their notes, I will remove all the asterisks and start fresh. So that when I send it to them again, they again only see the new changes that I've made. So now I have four or five different drafts of this thing. So now poor Kevin has to send a draft to Netflix that has all the changes from those four to five drafts. And I have to tell him with my head hung down in shame that I have no idea where those are or what those changes are because there have been so many little changes along the way changes to the same sections and i just haven't tracked them so i've lost track of everything so now poor kevin has to go through all four or five of my drafts to find the revisions himself and that's just busy work and he wouldn't have to do that if maybe i listened to alex <laughs> which we talked about in our last episode where he does a log he logs all of the changes he makes to a draft and he dates them and he puts the file name that it's under and maybe that would help so i don't know that just came up for me in this week in writing this organization thing can i ask you a question yes did you call kevin did you email kevin or did you text kevin kevin and i are on a slack chat oh well look at this someone's <laughs> finally come around to slack all right <laughs> Okay. And so you told him to over Slack. Yeah. I wanted to know what his facial expression was. <laughs> Actually, I'm glad I didn't know. <laughs> well, we love you, Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. So the next thing I need to talk about is actually, I think somewhat important because it sort of flips what we're kind of told about screenwriting. Ooh. You had asked me for an action comedy script. And it got me thinking, because I was like, yeah, I write action comedy, so of course I have an action comedy script. But I think you and I have both been in the position before where we've talked with a producer or an executive, and they've said, hey, I'm looking for you know a broad romantic comedy for this very specific actor. Do you have that script? And you're like, oh, no, I'm sorry, I don't. That's what you guys are working on? And they're like, yeah, that's where we're, where we're you know, headed right now. And you kind of walk away from the meeting. You're like, okay, cool. I have a great connection now. And I met someone. It was cool synergy, whatever. Synergy. You hate that uh. word. And, <laughs> and so you have this uh, new connection, but they're looking for something else. And so it got me wondering and thinking, because we're kind of told to, not told, there are no rules to any of this, but I've been told before, and I think you have as well. It's kind of like, you know, don't kind of write one of everything, just kind of write what you're good at. And I actually subscribe to that idea where it's like, just nail down what you're really good at and be great at it, you know? But is there, I, I feel like there's an argument to be made to have one script in every genre. Every genre. That, not Maybe not every genre, but multiple genres. So you have like your action comedy, you have a rom-com, you have a character drama. I mean, it's counterintuitive to kind of like how you approach your career, I think, because I think when you kind of come in, you want to come in and build your quote unquote brand and say, this is the kind of writer I am. I do action comedies. I do adventures. I write this. I love this. However, 
there's that one time when people ask for that one genre that you don't have. Mm -hmm. But in the back of your head, you're like, oh, but I could totally do that. Why haven't I done that before? Mm -hmm. All I'm saying is there's an argument to have different scripts and different genres. I wouldn't argue for it, but I am saying <laughs> there is an argument. <laughs> Can I argue against your argument for a second? <laughs> yes. So in the example you gave about me asking for one of your action comedies, that came about yeah. because I had a meeting with an executive who said that exact thing. He was like, I'm looking for movies between 30 and $40 million that is an action comedy vehicle for this particular actor. And I was like, yeah. I don't have that. And I wish I had that, which I'll say talk about in a second. But I knew that Josh absolutely had that. And so he needed to read that script. And I think the conversation that came up for me was less like I need to have a rom-com and I need to have like a small horror thriller and whatever. It's more like I, I work in action. I work in action that has comic elements to it. Why don't I have a 30 to $40 million movie? That to me is the important bit is like having movies that are in different price ranges <laughs> um, yeah. and okay. that also work within the different genres I like. So ideally, I would love to have a 30 to $40 million movie. I would love to have a bigger budget, you know, $100 million movie. I would love to have a sci-fi and a fantasy and a grounded thriller. Like, because that's those are all the things that I love. But would I want a rom-com? No, because I don't want a career based in romantic comedy. I mean, okay, there's there there's a few exceptions. I feel like rom-com, like you kind of get labeled as like the rom-com person. Yeah. But you, there, I feel like you can, if you were to have like an action comedy, I don't think you'd be labeled as an action comedy person because it's still kind of in the Venn diagram of Tasha. It still kind of drifts into the action world. That's that what it is: is have a Venn excel. diagram of yourself. That's yes. exactly right, I think. Oh, my God. The Act 2 Venn diagram pre-orders coming soon. <laughs> All right. I, I'm on to my last this week in writing, which is more of a conversation thing. So if you have anything else, maybe you go first. This isn't really a this. This is sort of it's, it pertains to writers. It's kind of a this week in writing because uh, I know we're going to get into a bigger topic. But let yeah. me just say. I don't sleep that often. I sleep a few hours here and there. And lately, I've been really fucking tired. And I ended up getting an eight-hour night of sleep. And it was magical. And this happened twice now in the last month. And so I'm just here to tell writers to take care of your body and get some sleep. I didn't even know how, how great I was going to feel until I did it. It's so amazing. It's unbelievable. Like, I, like where, where has this been my entire life? I wish I knew. If I get less than six hours, I'm useless. So that's my life. I always get seven to eight, like an old person. I wake up after five hours in a panic. Oh, my gosh. And a panic that you yeah. haven't gotten things done? Yeah, I'm like, I need to wake up. The day's begun. Is it because you have a daughter or have you always been that way? The daughter just, like, sprinkled cocaine on it, hmm. like, but it's always been there. I've always, I've always kind of lived in that world of anxiety where I'm like, I need to get up and do something. I guess I have a minor this week in writing that's related to taking care of ourselves. Oh. In my case, it's m mental. So recently, uh, my lawyer is doing a deal. Oh, boy. <laughs> on something. And I was given the option to screw someone over in my deal. 
(laughs) (laughs) And it was presented as like, you're going to do this. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to give this person more of an opportunity. So let's take this part out of the deal. And immediately got back from my lawyer, like within a minute of like, no, I don't think you should do that. And here's why, like, you're this person, you're this person, like just kind of talking me up of what I should be. And, you know, the other person, and I thought for a second, like, am I being, is this wrong? Because I'm, I'm always scared of, you know, you are, you do want to protect yourself in this business because there are sharks everywhere in the water. But my instinct was saying like, no, <laughs> this, this is a, this is a time where you don't just protect yourself. You have to think about other people. And I had to push back. And I, what I, what I thought was interesting was that the path of least resistance is to be a jerk in our mm-hmm. business and yeah. that you really do have to be vigilant to make sure that your lawyers and your reps are not driving you down a path of jerkdom. And I've also been on the other side where like I was hiring a writer, for instance, and their lawyer was being a huge jerk. And the writer did not know that their lawyer was being a huge jerk and was asking for things that were going to like destroy the project if we actually gave it to them. Um, The writer just thought their lawyer was doing due, due diligence. And so I think it it's easy to ignore what your lawyer is doing. And then when you get angry phone calls to be like, ah, it's just my team, like it's not my fault. But I do think it behooves us to pay attention to what's going on because change starts with us and it just feels like a really important piece of our puzzle. That's all. Man, I, I, I love it. I completely agree. And yeah, we were talking about how easy it is to be a jerk, like especially in this industry where you put a lot of effort into something, creatives are very emotional. We take things personally and we're we're kind of working everyone's kind of in it you know like you're just grinding at all times so it's very easy to become emotional yeah it's very easy to be a jerk i just don't understand that's all yeah just be better no, people just be freaking better that's it we should we I, I do think at some point we should do an episode because there are so many ways to be a jerk and everyone we've all been treated like shit yeah and we've all you know whether it's at person who fell asleep on you during your pitch or whatever like (laughs) it's easy to be a jerk in the entertainment industry it's almost like you have to try to be a good person but i agree with that you do you have to be vigilant about it it's weird and what's that it is weird because it's like just be a good person how fucking hard is this (laughs) (laughs) just don't hit the person walking across the street yeah that's it just keep walking all right tasha get to the big topic let's go all right so this is a big this week in writing, it's our last one. It's more of a conversation piece. And I'll say that, you know, on this podcast, if you listen regularly, you know that we rail about how hard it is to be writers. And I think as part of that conversation, we sometimes position producers and reps as enemies to our cause. <laughs> and I think Josh and I both know that that's not the case. Yeah. Even though it feels that way, you know, reps can be gatekeepers instead of advocates but the best reps are amazing advocates right it just made me think about that conversation you and i both had josh recently with an agent and he talked about time risk management when it comes to clients and Mm -hmm. it was just really fascinating for both of us i think to hear from him honestly and hear him kind of humanizing what it means to be an agent and what agents go through so i will say we are trying to get 
this agent onto the podcast so that he will speak to this because I think it's yeah. really invaluable to kind of peek into the life of an agent. And I think it will only benefit us as writers to understand what they're going through as well. But that's an aside. Oh, yeah. This is really leading me towards talking about producers who can often feel like a hurdle and we talk about them as kind of pests sometimes when they're not good producers. But obviously the best producers can feel like allies who are in the trenches with us. But I think as writers, we've all been burned by so many bad producers that we have grown to kind of distrust them. Mm -hmm. So my last this week in writing comes from a conversation I recently had with a producer that I would like to share. I'm so excited. <laughs> I love these stories. <laughs> All right. So this producer is working with a well-known writer. This writer has been writing for decades. This producer has been around for decades, worked for some big wigs. So they're two very talented people in their own right. And it seemed to be this kind of happy marriage when they found a project to work on together. And they eventually sold it to a major studio. And the studio pays for this writer to write the first draft and so they do and now the first draft comes in and the producer feels like this script needs a lot of work it's not bad it's still solid this person is obviously a great writer but it needs a lot of work and that's just part of the process right writers just simply cannot be expected to do all of the writing alone you need feedback you need other eyes you need writers groups or trusted producer and this producer in particular loves to be in the trenches with writers. And what that means is he gets a script and he won't just give it a once read, right? Sitting by the pool, skim it while watching a ball game. I've heard one person read my script while they were in the bathtub. So it's not that's not stuff that's happening oh. with this producer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like that's, that's not the place to be reading this script. He likes to read it and then read it again and then take a couple days to absorb it, to really think about what's working, what's not working. Why isn't it working? Is it not working on a macro level? Is it an issue with the original concept? I'm bumping. Why am I bumping? That's what this producer likes to do. So far, sounds like a great producer. Great producer. And that's what I wanted to say is like honored this person, right? Like... Most of the time, a producer reads your script and they probably only read it once. They give you just offhand feedback that's just kind of their first impressions of a thought, which you can tell when they do yeah. that. It reads that way. Like to me, a bad producer will give you a note like, this scene makes it feel like the hero is a jerk. Let's make him more likable in this scene. Well, as we all know from our notes episode, they might be reacting to the hero being a jerk here, but it's entirely possible that the solve is actually not about this scene. Maybe the solve is actually he's not a jerk, but the character he's talking to feels too meek, mm -hmm. which in turn makes him feel like he's yelling at her in this scene. So our work that we have to do as a writer is actually to fix this other character in act one to make sure she's not meek so that when she gets to this scene and our hero raises his voice, it's more like they're having an equal argument than he's berating her. So some producers, bad producers might just say, your hero's a jerk here. But this producer that we are talking about in particular, he's the kind of guy who tries to get at the note behind the note. Like, why am I feeling like he's a jerk here? And how do I express that to the writer? I so this it. is what it means by a producer who's in the trenches with you. That's all important context, actually, you'll find. <laughs> so this, this producer, he gets the first draft of this 
movie and has a ton of notes and the writer addresses them. Great, fine. But the writer starts to feel frustrated. He thinks that the draft is actually pretty good after just two rounds of notes. And the producer thinks, no, it's not good enough because in addressing that second round of notes, now you've opened up this ripple effect that affects like the third act of the movie. And we mm -hmm. have to address those notes now. But the writer feels like, wait, those are new notes. Why didn't you tell me those to begin with? So now several rounds of notes later, this writer is beyond frustrated because they thought that the draft was fine several notes ago. And now he just wants to turn it into the studio already because he feels like it's ready. So, the producer finally gets this writer to do enough notes that he's like, okay, I feel somewhat safe to turn this draft in. It's not my ideal version of the script, but it'll be good enough. And as we all know, studio execs are busy. My boss, when I was at Universal, had around 30 projects that she was working on at any one time. They're busy. They're in meetings all day. That means their, their time to read is really strapped, especially if they have families. So... Studio exec probably does one read. And like I said, probably in the bathtub. <laughs> and comes back to the producer and says, yeah, you know, this script isn't as good as we hoped it would be. And we're not sure that your writer can get it there. Aye. Which, as we know, is the response of a producer who's not in the trenches with you, right? This is why writers get like so scared to let producers into their trench and yeah. to like openly develop with them. Like we've talked about how you work with your manager by sending him act by act. And sometimes that's terrifying to do because yeah. a producer may not understand that this is a process. So the exec reads it once, has these notes, says, hey, not sure your writer can get it there. Now, I remember sitting at my desk at Universal actually being so frustrated when I would hear this because I knew that if a executive just called the writer and talked to them about it, the writer could probably get it there. But oftentimes they would actually fire a writer and find someone else without ever talking to the writer about the notes. They would just read it and be like, nope, this writer can't get it there. Let's move on. Mm. So this is the point of view that the producer is put into because now this producer knows I only have one more shot at this because my writer has a first draft in, her, in their deal and has a guaranteed revision. And that's it. Two steps to prove to the studio that they shouldn't kill this project. So now the producer's point of view is the next draft we do has to be flawless. And I can't tell this writer that the studio doesn't think you can get it there because that would destroy them. Like, how would you feel if someone told you that? Like, I feel like I'd be pissed off, like scared. Oh, the studio isn't invested in me. Maybe I should quit. Like, it would just have so yeah. many mental ramifications. So this producer doesn't feel like he can tell his writer what the studio has said. So producer gets their ducks in order. Okay, here's the studio's notes. How do we make sure this next pass is totally flawless? And the writer does their work, addresses those notes. Again, the producer has more notes because, again, in their mind, it's like this has to be flawless. The studio has to have a draft that's 101% there. And the producer's trying to guide the writer there until finally the writer has a meltdown this week. Snaps. Just completely snaps and tells the producer, I am not doing any more of these notes. I am exhausted. I don't think your notes matter. I don't want to hear any more notes from you. I just want to send it to the studio. I am done. I'm tired. Now, Josh, if you yeah. are the producer, what would you do? I would probably say, hey, writer, I fully understand where you're coming from. I, I get that I'm pushing you. 
let's just take a wait are they on a deadline by the way yes oh i was gonna say let's just take a moment give it a few days and then let's reconvene you know on monday or i think you have that time yeah okay i would probably if i was this producer i would say that i would say let's just give it a little bit and let's talk about it then but i totally understand where you're coming from i just want to get this into the best shape and i still think it's a little ways to go i agree with you i would say that as well what was interesting in talking to this producer was he was like i kind of got personally upset like yeah like they were attacking me which is how we feel as writers right producer was like they were ignoring the fact that i work really hard on this too i read the drafts multiple times you know i spend days trying to think of notes these aren't just things i've come up with in the shower not to keep using baths as a thing but (laughs) (laughs) and and that was his response was like that's not fair to me and i was like oh yeah i guess i never thought about you as a person no i never thought about that you know (laughs) it's a good point because no producer and no writer are created equal so when writers have gone through the process with really shitty producers you tend to kind of think oh wow maybe a lot of producers are kind of shitty because more of them are than aren't i think that's the reality where we all have worked with people who are just kind of they're just not great they they are not in the trenches with you they're not going to develop with you that's it's just it's just a bad relationship so and and that happens vice versa i think with producers and with writers and and you know writers can sometimes take a long time. They can get a little lazy. They can kind of throw in the towel on certain things. So maybe it's just a bunch of PTSD going around. Yeah. And this producer's, I, I get it. I, t- I would feel the exact same way. It's a very complicated situation, but somebody is going to have to step up and be the bigger man. Well, then switching point of views, if you were the writer, what would you do? Honestly, I feel like I would say, I would think that I've come too far and I'm going to keep going and making revisions. Hmm. that's where I would be. However, you know me, and I've been at a point where I've set, because I've already gone down the road of like, nope, fuck it, this is it. Like, I've done that before. As a matter of fact, I've done it with my manager, who, I'm, who I've developed with multiple times, and there are many times that I've just been like, Jay-Z, I'm just going to do this. And he, he's not happy about it, I don't think, but he, he lets me. Mm-hmm. And... On a recent project, I was like, hey, man, I'm all in. I'm like, I'm going to just develop this. I will listen to you. I'm going to be, I'm going to be better at, at this. It's not, not saying we, we didn't butt heads at all. I mean, these are very small things. So, yeah. And what you're talking about is a much larger example. But You were like, I'm going to give in to the process. Let's do I'm going to give in to the process. It's very hard for me. I'm specifically talking about writing act by act by act. It's mm-hmm. very hard for me to do that because... I'm a little bit more of like a big picture. Let me finish the script and then look back and then let me give you the script because I always look at first drafts as somewhat of a glorified outline. Mm-hmm. So if I were the writer, I would personally, I would, I would hold off. I'd say, let's, let's chat in a couple days and let me just think about this. Yeah. And I wouldn't look at the script either. Mm. What would you do? What, do you, what, what happened? Do we have answers to any of this? I don't know if we have answers because I've also felt the way the writer feels where you're just, you're done and yeah. you want to give up or you just want to take it out. And to the point where like, if it doesn't sell because of these small notes that you have, I don't even care because yeah, I've given yeah, yeah. you everything that I have. 
So I think you're right because even though I felt that, I would take a break and come back to it and would make the script better. And I think we've talked this, about this topic before about advocating the, for the idea that you do only get one read right now mm -hmm. and to write with that in mind. And so I think going back to kind of what your solutions would be on either side, I do think the answer is communication and being honest Always. with each other, which I think can be really scary to do. Hemingway has a great quote where he says like the best way to trust someone is to trust someone. Mm -hmm. And that's, I have found that when I was really scared to trust a producer because I didn't think they were smart enough or didn't, didn't think that they could handle like the fear it, of the process, you know, like of the, oh, this isn't ready and we all have to accept it's not ready, but it will get there. I swear. But when I just said, Hey, I, I'm not sure how to do this. This yeah. is what I think, but I'm not sure. That's a really terrifying thing to say as a writer, because you want to always, you know, create this sense of I'm in control and I know what I'm doing. You have faith in me for a reason. But as soon as I said that to this particular producer, like he opened up and we have a much better relationship now. Yeah. It's just communication feels like the key. It is. Communication is always key in like all aspects of life. So to your point though, I fully understand getting to that moment where you're like, I've done everything I could do. This is it. it, it yes. If it doesn't sell because of this and this and this, I can live with that. And if that's where you're at as the writer, I get it. However, maybe just do one more, just say, okay, I'm doing one more pass. And then that's it. You know what? Another piece of this puzzle is, is that producers now don't get paid until the movie gets made. Yeah. So you can say I'm done because you've gotten paid to write your draft and a producer hasn't gotten paid yet. So that's tough too, because you're quitting before the producer yeah. can get paid and they've worked in the trenches with you. How long have they been working together? About a year now. I, I say you just keep going. Yeah. Once you spend that much time, you just keep going. I think. Yeah. Has that yeah. happened to you before? Oh yeah. I always keep going. <laughs> Me too. Unless, unless suddenly the notes aren't making it better. If yeah. they're just notes for notes sake, but I've never had that happen. I, it's always been, oh yeah. Yep. That I can definitely see that making it better. Okay. Yep. Gotta just do it. Yeah. I agree. It's also really interesting how you, I, I can talk myself into a lot of different things. So when I get notes, sometimes my first reaction is like, fuck this. And then I think yes. I'm like, okay, yeah, actually this would make a little more sense here. <laughs> this would make a little sense here. That's exactly the process. Yeah, all right. Oh yeah. Fuck okay. This. Maybe they're on. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck your whole family. <laughs> and then you're like, oh yeah. Okay. Wait yeah, a minute. Smart, actually. <laughs> yeah. So are we going to get a follow-up from this? I would like to, hopefully we'll see. Hopefully it's yeah. a happy ending. I guess the, po I, I think like a big takeaway from this though, is like these kind of things do happen and it, it it's, it's important to know they happen. And then you have to kind of be aware of it happening because writers are going to find themselves in this exact position. Yes. This actually happens often on a much smaller level with, um, writers and managers Yeah. who are like, or agents, you know, where you're like, I want to take out a script. And then like the agents like. It's I'm not, not taking out a script. Yeah. It's not ready. I told you not to write that, whatever it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I Oof. think for me, the more we understand the other side of things and can empathize with other people in our business, not just writers, I think the better we will be as business people who can handle our jobs professionally. So yeah, it is important. You know, layered underneath this episode are a lot of 
great ways to li live your life. Just be nice to people, have empathy, work Communicate. Good. Yeah. Communicate. That's it. Life lessons. We just cracked life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. What is all about. <laughs> all jokes aside, communication is freaking everything. 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 I feel like I want to do a quote of the day about communication, but we don't have a quote of the day today. What? Our quote of the day is instead I'm going to read something from screenwriting Twitter. Oh, oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> Are these considered quotes? Is screenwriting Twitter a quote? Maybe. Is Twitter in general? I mean, someone said written? it. Yeah. So I'm going to read Josh's favorite thing, screenwriting Twitter. I've turned a corner. I, I love it. This thread in particular has kind of blown up a little bit after people like Julie Pleck commented on it. Julie Pleck is the creator of Vampire Diaries and the Originals. And I believe this writer in particular wrote on some of her shows. So this is our quote of the day. All right. This is from James Stodero, whose name I may or may not be pronouncing properly. He is a writer, executive producer on Batwoman, formerly on Gotham and Vampire Diaries, and one of my personal favorites, Legend of the Seeker. Go find it. It's amazing. All right. So James is replying to a Wall Street Journal article about Columbia and other universities who they say steer their students into federal loan debt that can exceed over $250,000. And that after graduation, these students cannot pay that back. And so James talks about his time in Columbia. He says there were 55 students in my incoming class at Columbia's MFA film program. Only four of us ever managed to make a career out of it. Of those four, one guy dropped out the first semester. Funny enough, he's the most successful one, having co-directed Avengers Endgame. Many of the students in my class who didn't turn their degrees into industry success were insanely talented, but Columbia traded on its reputation to sell them big dreams that it could never deliver. During my second year, I suspected that the school wasn't providing a launching pad to a career. Most of the instructors were struggling to establish a career themselves, and many weren't even much more experienced than their students. A fourth year student taught our cinematography class. The brass ring the program dangled was that your film could be chosen for the annual festival, where in theory, big time agents would see it and maybe sign you. But it was cutthroat to even be selected for the festival and tuition did not cover the cost to make those films. You were on your own to pay for them. One year, the film that won the festival was a World War II story shot in Europe, complete with a fucking tank. <laughs> students were going into debt to the tune of $100,000 to make films with the hope that they might maybe have a chance to be seen by a CAA agent. Mm. Not having the money to make a film, I switched to writing. I teamed up with a friend to write a screenplay that we hoped could be our calling card. We proudly entered it in the program script contest, only to have the faculty judges reject it in the very first round. Within a year, that script sold. Not because of anything my fancy school did, but because randomly I met a producer's assistant who offered to read it, liked it, and championed it to his boss. Best of all, that assistant was promoted, so it worked out for all of us. I was officially a working writer, but I was still two credits shy of getting my degree. I asked if there was possibly a way I could finish my degree while in L.A. starting my career. 
but Columbia was offended by the request and refused. So I dropped out within two credits of an MFA. After a few years as a working writer, a Columbia administrator asked if I would speak as an alum at a student event. I agreed to talk to the students, but pointed out that I'm not an alum. Hearing the situation, the admin lobbied the program's chair to help. The chair reached out and said he was confident that we could work out an arrangement to get my degree, but he insisted that I fly out to New York City immediately for an in-person meeting. So I spent a fortune on a last minute flight in order to hear his proposal. But instead of telling me what I need to do to satisfy the requirements to get my degree, the chair began pitching me his idea for a TV pilot in excruciating scene-by-scene -scene detail. I nodded along, waiting to get back to the terms of my getting my degree, but to my horror, I slowly began to realize this is the deal. He made it pretty clear if I wanted my degree, I needed to help him sell his TV pilot. Yep, the chair of Columbia's prestigious graduate film program tried to shake me down in order to jumpstart his own stalled out career. I still don't have my MFA. That chair is no longer the chair, but still teaching there. And to my knowledge, they never sold their pilot. <sighs> now I feel like we need to do our film school episode next. Holy because, cow. yes, this is basically my experience as well. I mean, how do we even finish this podcast? <laughs> All right, please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. You can follow me on Instagram at Josh Hallman and Twitter at Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs>